Welcome to the Something Something Experience Podcast, Episode 82. I'm Michael John Simpson. This episode is sponsored by WhedonCon. Are you a Joss Whedon fan? Then come check out WhedonCon 2017 in Los Angeles, May 19th through the 21st. Single day and all weekend tickets are available now at WhedonCon.com. This episode features rabbinical student and addiction counselor Eric Uriarty. Eric and I have been friends over a year, and I wanted to know his story. We talked about Judaism and Jewish culture, comparative religions, cooking, gaming, TV, and podcasts. It beats the shit out of pork. Here's episode 82 of the Something Something Experience. Alright, so, how's, uh, how's your Sunday going? Not too bad. How's yours? Uh, pretty good. A little, little bleary-eyed. Went to a, uh... Went to a party very, very late, which was very, very nice. Very, very big, large birthday party at a house with a big backyard and a pool and, mm-hmm. a, and a tent for shenanigans. Shenanigans. <laughs> shenanigans, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty great. We cool. had a good time. Um, happy Purim. I don't know, does one say Happy Purim? Yes, or, one, one can say Happy Purim. Happy Purim. As, as it is the one, it's one of those that uh, you're actually supposed to be happy for. Okay, cool, cool. It's not one of those faux pas right. like saying Happy Yom Kippur no, and you're no, like, no. dude, I haven't eaten or drank or showered or, <laughs> you, don't say happy you know, Yom Kippur. It's you do like, not say I've Happy been, Yom Kippur. I've been pour, you know, uh, pouring my guts been, out, yes, confessing I've been, things. I've been pouring my guts out with no food and water in my system. I'm hangry as hell yeah. and uh, I stink because I haven't taken in a shower, so yeah. happy fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I can, uh, I've, I've been kind of um, uh, Judaism adjacent. Mm. Uh, I, I've dated a, a, a few Jewish women, and was was actually they used to tease. She and her her friends used to tease me that I was a jit, a Jew in training, right? Um, you know, and we go to we'd go to challah or, or uh, to a Shabbat dinner, and right. you know, and have, have some challah, have have some challah, challah, yeah, exactly. I always liked it with raisins and cinnamon. Anyway. Yeah, um, no, raisins is my favorite. And a lot of people don't like raisins, which just means there's more for me. Right. But uh, I I think that they're crazy, and that's okay. We had one, and they lived in West Hollywood, so they always went to all the great uh, bakeries and and, and delis and stuff there. And there was a hollow that we had one time that had just the slightest little bit of curry in it. Ooh, it was like a little curry and raisins. So it was, interesting. And cinnamon. So it was kind of like savory and sweet all at the same time. Yeah. Back at my old congregation in uh, Northern California, there was an older gentleman who uh, who would bake the challah every mm-hmm. week, and he would use cardamom in it. And it was... Oh, yeah. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> cardamom always reminds me of the... Um, there was a Stephen Colbert Christmas special that he did on Comedy Central a few yeah. years ago. And, and he had... Um, I think it was uh, John, not John Mayer. Um, oh, I always forget the name of the artist, but he did um, he did a song about nutmeg, and one, and so they're out <laughs> of nutmeg, and he's like making a nut, like a total sexy like slow jam, uh, you know, fuck song to nutmeg uh, about nut, yeah, yeah, exactly about nutmeg, and uh, and he's um, John like Legend. It. it was John Legend, okay. and. Um, and so Stephen Colbert's going through his whole uh, spice cabinet, try, you know, and one is like cardamom, cardamom, cardamom. and he's like, uh, uh, it's like, it's like uh, that ain't gonna help me get some, you know. That was the call and response to that. Uh, that that reminds me of an old uh, kids in the hall sketch. Oh, way back uh, when they were on MTV. Oh yeah, and there so there was a sketch where. It was uh, a man and a woman, and the guy was like really, really bored that night, and so he was, 
he was like going through the house trying to alleviate his boredom. And of course, this was in the years before the internet, so he actually had reason to be bored. And uh, one of the one of the the parts of this sketch was his him going through the spice cabinet (laughs) and trying everything. (laughs) And I remember him saying, "Rose, oh my God, rosemary! How do we, honey? Do we use rosemary in anything? This stuff is amazing." Uh, and now that reminds me of the whole thing of, of the guys, the, the girls going out of town for the weekends, yeah. the guys like go and party through the whole country. And then it's like, <laughs> oh no, wait, the girls are coming home. We have to clean up the country. And you see them in Boston and they're sweeping <laughs> up and they're cleaning up confetti and, you know, and, and sweeping up. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, um, so happy Purim. Happy Purim. Uh, um, tell me your, you were telling me about the, the, your, um, the costume that you didn't do this year. Right. So I, um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so for whatever reason, my school decided to celebrate, uh, Purim on Thursday this year, which, because Purim started on, um, on Saturday night and ran into Sunday. Okay, it makes sense that they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Except that Thursday is called uh, Thursday is is actually supposed to be a fast day. So I was oh. observing the fast oh. because I'm I'm one of the more like traditionally minded observant people at my school, and uh, so I wasn't going to eat or drink anything anyway. On top of the fact that I work. Uh, as a counselor for uh, at an addiction treatment center, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the last thing I was going to do was get all festive and, mm-hmm. and maybe have a drink or two, right. and then go talk to alcoholics about right. how they shouldn't drink right, anymore. Right, right? right that's right. that's a little bit kind of rude. Yeah. Um, but so what I what I really wanted to do, and honestly, if I could have found anyone that that had it that I could borrow, I would have done this. Um, but I decided I wasn't going to pay the money to buy it myself. But what I wanted to do was get one of those inflatable T-Rex costumes that you see <laughs> all over the internet on yeah, YouTube yeah. Um, and then put like a wide-brimmed hat and and paste the little hair curls down the side <laughs> and and put on a big, uh, you know, talit, which is the, the prayer, prayer shawl, shawl with the, yeah, the, with the fringes the down the bottom. on the end? Yeah. Is that the tzitzes or no? Uh, so, so tzitzit. Okay. But, yeah. But, uh, I'm going off of a Billy Crystal. Uh, well, okay, because all of that is most mostly Yiddish pronunciation, okay, and so okay. so in Yiddish, like, the final T's are pronounced S's, um, or what would be the, a, a T in Hebrew, like mm-hmm. in standard Hebrew, is is pronounced S in in Ashkenazi or, or European, okay, like, okay. standard Hebrew, and then they also put the the uh, accent on a different part of the word. Okay. So in Hebrew, it's tzitzit, that's the, 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 the fringes on the side, mm-hmm. but in in Yiddish, it would be tzitzis. Okay, right. But yeah, and especially like in colloquially American, Colloqu- right. American Yiddish. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of vaudeville and, and comedy right. came from right. came from the Borscht Belt, yep. and and you know all of these Eastern Europeans. It's actually a really amazing story. Like, how did Jews get into entertainment? Oh, sure. Well, you know, you had a lot of Eastern Europeans. Because they had all the money. Right. <laughs> no, it was the exact opposite. Yeah, exactly, it usually is. Exactly, you know, yeah. they, all these Eastern Europeans were coming over who were like classically trained actors and classically mm-hmm. trained musicians. Mm-hmm. But because of discrimination in the United States, they couldn't get jobs in orchestras or in, you know, Broadway productions mm-hmm. um, or what would have been the equivalent of Broadway productions. And so they started vaudeville and they, they made, you know, lowbrow humor. Mm-hmm. They used their acting mm-hmm. chops. And then all of a sudden, along comes the Great Depression, and people want to laugh, and right. people want to like be uplifted through a, a you difficult time. You can get into time. a vaudeville show or a movie for like a nickel or right. whatever. Right, so it's cheap. It it helps people like forget for a moment mm-hmm. that the economy is mm-hmm. crap, mm-hmm. and then 
next thing you know, the the people who have been doing this, who were Jews, who were like on the low part of the, the totem pole of the entertainment world, are all of a sudden very right. popular. And along comes radio, and a lot of the vaudeville people just get launched right into radio. Exactly. Careers. People like Jack Benny and... and uh, um, uh, uh, George Burns and right, you know, yeah. and so because these people, uh, you know, these Jews, a lot of them came from Eastern Europe. They were used to to Yiddish peppering mm-hmm. regular everyday speech, and that's that's why what most Americans think of as Jewish and mm-hmm. Jewish phrases is actually Yiddish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not not Jewish, but it's also not Hebrew. It's not Hebrew, no. It's right. A, it's a it's kind of a Germanic Hebrew mishmash slang. Yeah, it? so it's basically it's it's Middle German. Okay, there yeah, you the, the, yeah, like the base language is Middle German. Um, it's written with Hebrew characters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then because it was sort of a sort of an Eastern European polyglot language, it's got some Russian and some Polish, oh, yeah. and depending on where you went in that area, you'd have more Polish or more Russian. And then it's also got got some some Hebrew mixed in because at the time you know Hebrew was just a, a liturgical language, so they didn't really have a lot of concepts. There were like so Hebrew is what you spoke of in church and read in the Torah and the Talmud, and but but and as far right. as everyday speech, well, the Talmud is actually Aramaic. Oh, okay, which is oh, something wow. entirely okay. Oh, wow. different. That's, okay, yeah, right. Well, I know. Okay, so here's my probably wrong understanding or what I've been told of what the sure. Talmud is, which is the Talmud is. Okay, so you have the you have the Torah, which is which is uh, the, for for Christians, it's Ge- uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. The first five books, the books right. of Moses, the books handed down by oral tradition and 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 written by Moses, right. put down on paper exactly. by Moses, which we call uh, Breshit. Um, oh, uh, Breshit, Shemot, Vaikra, Bamidbar, and Devarim. Okay. And so then the Talmud is scholars and rabbis and people interpreting those those five books over and over and over and over. So I'm going to give you a really great analogy that works for a lot okay, of people. Cool. Talmud is Reddit from the 7th century. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Because, gotcha. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because there is – so and, – and there's actually an intermediary – portion of uh, between the the Torah and the Talmud and that's called the Mishnah. Mm. So basically the the how I describe it to people who are not familiar with how it works. Mm-hmm. It's actually a great analogy. If you look at the Torah as being a constitution, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. it is the constitution of the Jewish people. Right. Um, it lays out basic laws and basic values mm-hmm. and things like that. And in fact, it's actually interesting because, you know, much later on during the, the pre-Enlightenment and the Enlightenment period, mm-hmm. you had people like Spinoza actually say that, like, liken the old, you know, Moses-led Jewish people to a republic with the Torah as its constitution. And that was his reasoning for why Jews didn't need to follow any of the, like, the kosher laws or anything like that, because he basically said it was the constitution of a nation that doesn't exist anymore. We are still a people, but because we, we don't exist in our original form, we don't need to, we should be evolving. We don't need to, you know, keep following those old things. So anyway, so the Torah is like the constitution. It lays out the basic values and the basic you know, ethical precepts. Mm-hmm. And the, so if you were to ask an Orthodox person, the tradition is that when Moses came down from Sinai, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't just bring the Ten Commandments, right? He was up there for 40 days. Yeah. And so the idea is that he was up there like doing a back and forth with God saying, okay, but what about this and what about this and what about this and what about this? Because if you read the Torah, it sometimes doesn't really make sense, right? So like what, 
what does you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk actually mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. that's the example I'm going to hang on to. So 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 follow me with Which this. Like one. that's the first tenant of kosher law, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tenant. Uh, tenant. Well, it's one of them. It's yeah. it's right along with you know these are the animals that are kosher and these are the animals right, that are not right, kosher. Right. But that particular one takes some interpretation. So here you go. So presumably, as the tradition quote unquote goes. Um, Moses hears from God and you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. And Moses goes, huh? What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. And so then God and Moses have a discussion. And so when Moses comes down off of Mount Sinai, he gathers up, you know, a group of elders and, and says, okay, here's the Torah. This is what God gave me. And then these are all the questions I asked God mm-hmm. to try and understand what's going on here. And so um, if you were to ask an Orthodox Jew, you would you would you'd be told, okay, there's um, there's Torah Sinai, Torah from Sinai, and Torah Shebal Peh, Torah from the mouth, mm-hmm. which is that that oral tradition. Mm-hmm. And so the, the presumption is that Moses not only like came down and talked about these question and answers, but also sort of created a, for lack of a better term, like a critical thought process, a, a of, forum for being able to right. discuss and, and analyze and, and interpret all exactly. God's so, so, so the very orthodox would say that everything that would ever be discussed was at least laid out in formational form at that point, right? Like there wasn't all of the answers to like the internet because of course they didn't. You know, it's like, and when you get to the internet, go don't go to these pages. I know you have no idea what this means right now but just like keep keep right. this going right. but it was the it was the the um, the methodology behind interpreting the word both the words on the page and the words of the oral tradition mm-hmm. into modern contexts mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that oral tradition became a set of books called the Mishnah and the Mishnah was was like the expanded part of the oral tradition. And there was a, originally an idea that the oral tradition had to remain oral, and the written tradition, the Torah, had to remain written. And was kind of like set in stone, very, you exactly, know, you know, metaphorically, but, and couldn't be moved. Right. But around um, the the second century, uh, the rabbis got together and said, "Hey, like the Romans are killing us, and they they might kick us out of." of the land of Israel. So even though we're not supposed to write down the oral stuff, we're going to write it down anyway because so that it won't be lost. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Mishnah then is the is the oral tradition that explains you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk to mean you don't mix meat, meat and, and dairy in dairy on the same plate or in the same meal. Same day, same plate, same meal, you know, right. separate fridges, blah 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 blah. Separate well, dishes. Well, that that's what it became. Oh. That's that's what you would have find from the Talmud and then from the later works. Now, now, anthropologically speaking, is that was that I know a lot of what uh, relation to kosher and food and all that has to do with health shellfish and things and things that could easily spoil things I mean, that could make you sick things that could you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of presumptions and a lot of really sound hypotheses mm-hmm. about what it could be mm-hmm. um you know and and it's it's all very interesting mm-hmm. none of it can be conclusively mm-hmm. proven mm-hmm. so so like from my perspective i just look at it as being um you know, a lot of it was, this is the way we've always done it, so therefore it must be for a reason. Right, you know, now, right. like, taking out of the, out of the, you know, sort of divine revelation and going into the scholarly criticism and historical criticism and things like that, you know, when the, when the Torah was redacted and when, when the words were actually put down on the page, 
they'd been practicing this for hundreds and thousands of years. So they, they, you know, it was almost like a, we keep doing it because this is what we've always done sort of a thing. And, and it, 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 it took on the, the role of, of being a holy writ. Sure, sure, Um, sure. So, so the Mishnah says, okay, what that, what that you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk actually means is that you're not supposed to mix meat and dairy. Right. And then it leaves it at that. Apparently God didn't like cheeseburgers. <laughs> I mean... And I don't mean to make fun. I'm, you know... Please, I'd... please make fun. I really don't care. <laughs> but, you know, my, one of one of the precepts that I follow is if you, can't la- if you can't laugh at your own religion, you are way too serious of a person. And if you can't believe for a second that you could be wrong, then you have no right to follow... You know, right. you have no right to like have a religion. I mean, that's, and, and that's one of the things that that as a person who was not raised Jewish, but then having been exposed to uh, Jewish culture from a from a social standpoint and a religious standpoint right. later in life, and a thing that I observed the versus what I observed growing up, where Christians, so many so many Christians, and I don't want to generalize, and I sure. want to say all Christians are bad. Hashtag not all Christians. Uh, but having grown up with that and people being so staunch and so serious and so, uh, uh, precious about that, right. that, that Jewish people always seem to be me to be a lot more open to interpretation, to other, other ideas from other religions, to other cultural things that could be brought in and the, the, Kind of sitting back and going, yeah, this is all kind of silly, but it's just kind of what we do, and it makes me feel a sense of tradition and home and family and all that to follow these things because that's the way I grew up and I was raised, and that to me made the most sense. And I saw, you know, growing up and and you know the news and blah blah blah, and you take it all whether for whatever it's worth, but so many people taking so many things so way 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 too seriously, mm-hmm. which is ultimately the reason why I walked away from it all completely. Sure, uh, you know, it was people who turned me away. You know, like I I like the idea of God. It's some of his followers I have a problem. Right, with. Um, and you know I'm you know God's God's cool and everything. His fan club, you know, can be a bunch yeah. of yeah. Assholes. Can, can, yeah, leave right. a lot to be desired right, at right. times. So, but but the thing that I always what's what's that bumper sticker? Jesus loves you. Everyone else thinks you're an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Jesus is coming. Get a towel. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, look busy. Um, yeah. Mm. Right. <laughs> um, that was really blasphemous. Excellent. Um, yay, Ernie. Whatever. Ernie, 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 he's, Ernie. he's not my guy. So <laughs> Ernie. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and and every time I've and I have other friends who've who've gone through rabbinical school. I have a friend named Owen who who lives in in New York, uh, and uh, uh, he he and I worked together years ago. And he you know just decided to leave California and go to New York and go to go to rabbinical school. As and one now, does. Now he's, a, he's got a big old fuck off beard, and he's a, and, and, <laughs> and and he's uh, and married and happy and and sure. you know being being up there being a Jew and it's great and he loves it you know so um but I always I always liked in and also seeing in like entertainment culture and media culture and things like that about the way that Jews would self-deprecate and 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 made it seem like they didn't take themselves so damn seriously and that was endearing to me mm-hmm. uh you know as a dumb you know white boy sure. who grew up in Colorado thinking that public enemy wanted to kill me um because <laughs> I believe the hype um right so back to sure. um 
the whole thing of of language in Yiddish. It was it was to me. It seems like it was a, this way for all these different people who had this one commonality in right. terms of culture and religion, a way for them to all communicate and kind of have their own way to talk to each other. Um, just no matter where, what country they were from, what what section of what country where they were from, because right. a dialect could change from county to county or town to town, and so they all had this common language and culture that they could kind of right. And and there's a there is a level of of universality to that, especially in the United States, because ninety percent of of the Jews living in the United States now come from. European countries, right, and so right, that right. was so Yiddish was especially in Central and Eastern mm-hmm, Europe mm-hmm. the common denominator. Mm-hmm. Um, now, where it gets a little tricky is that okay, so that's ninety percent of the Jews. The other ten percent of the Jews in in the United States, um, but about fifty percent of the Jews in in Israel are there are a lot of different labels. So uh, the term is Ashkenazi is is the European. Jews, and there are a lot of other terms, like Sfadi and Mizrahi, and then Persians form their own community. So all of these other sub-communities who don't have, you know, a Yiddish tradition and don't, you know, don't eat, make challah differently, mm-hmm. don't eat bagels, don't eat lox, mm-hmm. have completely different foods, it's it's very disappointing to a lot of these communities. And I have friends in these communities um, who... There's a term that that is jokingly used called Ashkenormative. Oh, okay, okay right. Okay. So, and it's it's like that that basically it's like not all Jews are you know are you know oive bagel, right. bagels and locks right. And, right not right, all, okay. Right, and I'll and I'll right. give you an example. Like I I was on the internet on some website and it, it you know there was this thing that you clicked on and it said here are the twenty words that that all Jews grew up with except that nineteen of them were Yiddish mm-hmm. and one of them was Hebrew and you know it it and. Like I, I understand why because again, ninety percent of the Jews in America are are Ashkenazi. The the vast majority of Jews in entertainment, like when a Jew is depicted, it's that sort of a right. sort of a depiction. Right. And so, it's understandable to me mm-hmm. why that is. Now, a little bit of background about myself. Um, you know, because this is a podcast, you can't see me, but I am right. ambiguously brown. Yeah, you do not look Eastern Euro- or right. European. You don't look right. European. So my father is actually from Nicaragua, mm-hmm. um, but he is not Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was raised Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. He he fled the revolution in Nicaragua uh, when he was ten years old. Came mm-hmm. to America, mm-hmm. went to UCLA. Um, at my mother. Now, my mother's family is from uh, half of it. Half of them are from Germany. The other half are from Poland, Russia. And so my grandfather's family fled the pogroms and came to America in the late 19th, early 20th century. And then my grandmother, uh, actually, it's a really fascinating story. So she, her father owned the largest department store in, in northern Germany, in Bremen. Oh, okay. Um, and he was a philanthropist and he was beloved by his community. And, of course, when the Nazis came, they took all of that away. Um, and so they fled to France. Right, I think right before Kristallnacht, right before the like the big national yeah, yeah. movement where the Nazis like torched synagogues and, and Jewish businesses and everything. So my my great grandfather rebuilt a business in France in Paris, um, a successful jewelry business, and then the Nazis invaded France. Yeah, yeah. Occupation. And so yeah, and so at that time, and I'm I'm a bit fuzzy on the details, but um, 
what I heard from my cousins who there was actually a, a German film crew that came to America a couple of years ago and interviewed some of my cousins about wow. this because uh, long story short, that department store, that big department store, well, that right? department store became a uh, it's now a, a state owned uh, mental health facility. And so it's wow. it's now called like the Julius Bamberger Memorial like mental health facility or something like that. I, my great grandfather has an entry in German Wikipedia, wow. right? So, and I I didn't know any of this. Wow. But so uh, fr- from my understanding and the details may be fuzzy, um my great grandfather, my great grandmother um uh, unfortunately took her life in France because she just couldn't mm-hmm. deal with it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then my my grandmother uh, were apparently captured either by French police or by uh, German Gestapo or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and were were being held somewhere in in preparation for them to be shipped off to to a camp. A camp yeah. My great uncle uh, Egon was not with them. And he spoke like three languages. He was blonde haired and blue eyed. He looked, he essentially looked like a good Aryan boy, except he was a Jew. So somehow he was able to masquerade as a German officer and get them out. Wow. And I've even, I've even seen like a, like a little newspaper clipping. They fled, I want to say, to Portugal, then the UK, then the United States. Wow. But there's a newspaper clipping that I had read from the UK that their ship was strafed by um, ME-109s as it was pulling out of, of a port in, I want to, I think, Northern France or something like that. So they all came to the United States, and then my great-uncle Egon joined the U.S. Army and went back to Europe wow. and fought yeah. and, and, and survived and came back. So wow. it's it's a really... That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's an yeah, amazing yeah. story. I always... I always... I always... Uh, I talk to my grandfather a lot mm-hmm. about... about uh, World War II and uh, not a lot enough. I mean, it, when he died, I was in my early twenties, so uh, it, it was one of those things that that be, the person I am now is very different because this is twenty years ago. Sure. It's very different than when I was back then, and so I wish now I had had more time as a as someone who was a bit more globally minded right. to talk to him more about those times, those things. Um, but I have a lot of photographs, and I have a lot of. Things like I have, um, you know, uh, his service record and dog tags, mm. and, and I have a lot of things that um, that were his that were related to that time period. Right. So, so at least from a some point like family history perspective and family history that pertains to what led up to and including World War II, uh, I understand that that sense of of. Obligation is too strong a word, but that need to know more about it to to yeah. to honor it, you know, yeah. basically to to bring bring it to light and to 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 pay respect to the sacrifices and the and the the bravery and and those yeah. things as well. Yeah. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible business, and and it's just obviously the whole of human history has been fraught with with. Man's inhumanity to man's man. Man's inhumanity to man. Right. And and especially in our current political climate, you you start to to see patterns and it's it's frightening. Yeah. Um and it's it's especially dismaying to me how anti Semitism seems to be well and and really just hatred right. of, of the other in general sure. seems to oh, be yeah. on the rise. Yeah, I mean, and now you know, and modern modern America has re- has replaced you know, 
has replaced Germany and it's more Muslim now than Jews, but also yeah. Jews are, are Jewish cemeteries and synagogues. And I mean, it's all yeah. happening There's again. Been, yeah. Cemeteries have been defaced. Synagogues have had things spray painted on them. There's, there's all of the bomb threats that have been called into JCCs all yeah. around the country. And these are places with preschools, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, it, it's, it's so disheartening to see pictures of, of preschoolers being evacuated from these buildings. And, uh, like I, I, I ask myself, why? Like, what is what is the thinking behind this? And I'm I'm unwilling to accept. Oh, this is you know j- this is not thinking, or or it's just people being copycats or whatever. But you know there yeah. there is something going on that's very dismaying to me. And well, I, there's the there's the there's the continual. And I mentioned this on the podcast before and talked about it before, you know, when Al Gore did the big quote unquote launch of the, of the internet back right. in the early 2000s, there was that whole thing of, of, you know, all the information and all the libraries and all the world will be at everyone's fingertips. And, right. and this is going to be a great, wonderful tool, but there were, you know, for everyone so that more and knowledge is power, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But. There were some people who very accurately and sadly predicted that also with that knowledge was going to be uh, an easier method by which to spread, disseminate misinformation and hatred yeah. and and bigotry. And there's there's I've never seen any fucking point to it. I've I've never understood. And I grew up I grew up with people who who frequently used the N word and mm-hmm. and and used you know all manner of 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 disparaging uh names for other yeah. the other and who people who weren't white christian whatever and and i've just never seen it at such a level and and it I, I've never understood it. I, even back then, I never understood. Yeah, I mean, I I hate to say it, but I I've come to realize that there there is a, a natural us versus them mentality that I think is present. America's in America's very tribal. Well, it's not even America. I think that it's present in in humanity. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. it's a it's a basic yeah. survival instinct, right? When when there is a limited amount of resources for basic survival to go around, who is going to get it and who is not going to get it? And so there's yeah. always there's always going to be a these are the people that are entitled to X and these are the people who are not entitled to X and it and it's it's yeah. racial it's class it's nationality it's language well, it's religion th- it can be yeah. anything well i think i think anthropologically speaking back you know you know 15 20,000 years ago maybe longer when everybody was basically the same mm-hmm. uh, you know from africa one person went oh hey there's 12 of us there's only 10 pieces of fruit or 10 pieces of meat or whatever if i go over here and balk this guy over the head i get his piece of meat and i don't have to go out and hunt for it and then if i can make everybody else afraid that i'm gonna balk them on the head and take theirs Mm -hmm. then they'll share some of theirs with me me. they'll just give me theirs and somebody figured that out a long time ago i mean that that resource management through brute force (laughs) and really that's what everything boils down to oh yeah it's greed it really is yeah Greed and then fear created by greed. Well, it's. I hesitate to use the word greed, although I I I, I do agree that greed, the negative concept, plays into it. Um, there's an interesting. There's a concept in in Judaism 
that's that's called uh, the Yetzer Tov and the Yetzer Hara, or Yetzer Hatov, Yetzer Hara, and that's the good inclination and and the bad or the evil inclination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, but unlike other religions that draw a very stark difference between you know this is good and this is bad, and there's really nothing in in the middle. Um, Jewish Jewish mystical and moral thought posits that. Uh, the the yetzer hara the is is more selfish than mm-hmm. greedy mm-hmm. and it needs to be because if you're going to take care of yourself if you're going to put food away for the winter if you're mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. look mm-hmm. beyond just the here and now and what i need to survive mm-hmm. you have to have that that little yeah. bit of of self-preservation and selfishness in and then it's what drives you to have a family, and it's what drives you to, you know, wanna wanna take a to take a mate and have children and do all that. Like so, the cycle continues. Right. And so, Jewish moral principles are supposed are are basically there to recognize that that it, there is a struggle between the two in every human being, and there are some things that are absolutely a hundred percent evil. And there are some things that are absolutely 100% good and moral, but we only ex- we exist 95% of the time somewhere in the middle, and it's a constant struggle between the two. Is it fair to say that those two inclinations rub up against each other a lot? I, I would say it's fair to say that the two are are one in the same a lot. It's not even that they that they that they push up against each other. It's it's that we're talking Venn diagrams. Yeah, it's that you have to meld the two in order to be able to you know plan ahead and and save up money without doing it in a in an immoral or unethical way you know and so like there's a there's a a, there's a parable that i love that basically says that um so in judaism uh there's a concept called the mitzvot and those are the 613 laws that we are supposed to follow per the torah and then all the later talmud scholars that enumerated all of this so uh, in mystical thought, like each of these rules is likened to a rung on a ladder, and it's like Jacob's ladder, the ladder mm-hmm. that leads up to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's a story um, from from a mystic that that he was teaching, and this this is from a couple hundred years ago, right? So this isn't even like super old, right? 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 And his his students come up to him and they say, "So teacher, you've told us that that you know the the mitzvot." are like rungs on a ladder. So which is the holier person? The person who's on rung 300 or the person who's on rung 200 or the person who's on rung rung 100? And the teacher like looks at them for a moment and and they say, "Well, master, what is it?" And he says, "Well, you haven't given me the the correct amount of information. You haven't told me which direction those people are going." Mm. Right? So it's it is a it's it's more important to struggle with that. You know, and it's the idea that, um, so Judaism is, when people say, well, what's really the difference between Judaism and Christianity? And this is like overly simplified. Right. But in Christianity, it is what you believe. Right. Right. Because right. like the core, right. the core principle is that you have to believe that Jesus Christ was the divine Messiah and that he died on the, on the cross to absolve people of their sins. That you have to have that core belief. In Judaism, Judaism does not care what you believe. Judaism cares what you do. What you do. And so, why do you have to believe that uh, God told you not to have a cheeseburger? No, you don't. Just don't have a cheeseburger, right? It, it you can you can come up with whatever principle you want behind it. You can say, oh, it's anthropologically based. Oh, it's it's tra- it's a tradition of my people that I'm trying to keep alive. Oh, I just don't like it. But whatever that reason is, is inconsequential to you not having that cheeseburger. Right. And then the second part is that 
the concept of sin in in Judaism is completely different from from Christian sin, where Christian sin is an infraction that will that will stain your soul and lead you to eternal punishment. Jews don't believe in eternal punishment. Jews believe that like any any stain on your soul is really you fucking up the world. Right. Right. Now right. you might ask, how does a cheeseburger fuck up the world? I don't really know. Right? Maybe it causes gas and no one wants to be around you. Who, who knows? Right. I don't know. But. Hi, everyone. Just wanted to take a moment to talk about our sponsor. This episode of the Something Something Experience is brought to you by WhedonCon, a charity and sci-fi fantasy gathering celebrating the works of Joss Whedon. Created by the fans and for the fans, WhedonCon 2017 will take place the weekend of May 19th through the 21st in Los Angeles and will celebrate the 20th anniversary of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In honor of the late Ron Glass, all proceeds from this year's convention will go to the Al Wooten Jr. Heritage Center to fund after-school and summer programs for low-income families. Get your single-day or full-weekend tickets on sale now at WhedonCon.com. Thanks for listening, and now, back to the show. Um, you know, the vast majority of things that, that come up, that, like these teachings, like there's so many teachings in Judaism that, that were poured into the labor movement in the 19th century, right? Because um, there are teachings in the Torah and the Talmud that say you have to pay your workmen at the end of the day. You can't withhold the work. There are teachings in the Torah and Talmud that say that if someone puts, um, if someone gives you their coat as collateral for a loan, but he, but he, you give him the money uh, at night, you have to let him keep his coat for the night, and then he gives brings it to you the next morning, right? So there's this, there's a lot of these ethical right. precepts. Right. Right. Um, you don't take a collateral thing from somebody that basically is going to prevent them from being able to survive while right. using your money for whatever. Exactly. So, so a lot of the sins focus on how do we reconcile being good people and being being one another. And so... You know, when 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 we talk about uh, you know sinning against somebody else, it's not that you just look up to the sky and say, "God, I'm sorry," and that that's it. Like there is an expectation, uh, atonement. Atonement. To, yeah. Atonement may not is not only just going, "Oh, I'm sorry." Right. It's making up for it. Right. It's it's, 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 it's atonement over forgiveness. Right, right. 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 Because you have to make the attempt to at to least make say, it right. to, to, make to it say, right. number one, I fucked up. Number two. Can I do anything to make it right? Number three, if so, then what? Right. You know? And so there's, there's, there's a lot of that which, which is really what I, I love about the tradition and, and the teachings and, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that was the, one of the things that disillusioned me about, about Christianity and about the modern interpretation of Christianity was, you know, you can, you know, we're supposed to read the Bible and believe what Jesus teaches, and and also read the Old Testament and believe about the old law, from, right. but much more from a historical perspective sure. rather than actual, you know, following that. And you know, because the whole thing of Jesus, it's like it's like you know, getting into heaven, you're not going to be measured by your your works. It's what you believe in your heart, right. and this and that. And and so it was always this thing of just you can just kind of get a pass. You can you can be a total dickhead but as long as you go, uh, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Boom, right. you're fine. You know, and it doesn't matter what you do here. It's a matter of what it's a, it's all about that afterlife. It's all about that that next life. So what you do here doesn't necessarily even matter. Right, and and, and, and that's and, always that thought, thought to be just a pile of crap. Basically, yeah. Well, and look, I I think that. That that's again, uh, you know, Murphy's law: no, no good plan survives first contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and and look, I think that 
I think that that the that what is commonly referred to as the teachings of Jesus are right. some pretty profound, pretty oh, for the yeah. time radical oh, things. Radical, you know. Things. And then you you look at you also look at books of the apocrypha, and you look at other things. The things weren't kept because right. of the and then. I mean, to me, it all falls down with the Council of Nicaea. You get a whole right. bunch of guys get together to talk about books that have been around for a thousand years and go, well, this one's good this, and this yeah, one's not. This one pick, stays, this one's good. Ones Let's put it like, in this order and right. right. And, like, and look, uh, you know, I'll... I'll, I'll but anyway. Judaism but, but, has yeah. some of the same problems and there's some interesting G- warfare in Judaism. Jesus on paper. Right. Uh, the things that he said, the beautiful things that he said about about love and respect and being good to the earth and being good to, you know, this and that and the other. And... and you know, and eschewing riches and eschewing, you know, blah, and making sure you don't judge other people. And, right. And the, all great. Nobody fought, you know, it seems like nobody's following that. Yeah. But, but yet they, they, they're the first ones to walk around with a cross and, and, and right. wear a cross necklace and be like, blah, blah, blah. And then they want to point the finger at everybody. Right. And I like a lot of the stories that I've seen lately about, about Christian ministers who've been coming out and saying, you know, that basically like, the devil was created, you know, as a method of control of, fee, you know, fee, death insurance fear sure. to keep people in line to, you know, as mass control. Right. And and basically seeing seeing Christians question their beliefs and right. their belief systems, and and I think that's that's an enlightened position. Yeah. Because I don't, you know, anything that's two thousand years old bears scrutiny. Anything. Yeah. Anything. And so, I mean, and hey, my religion's four thousand years old, and and we we continue to scrutinize it. And there are some people that that don't like that scrutiny, or that say that oh, the scrutinization period was over with the Talmud, or was right. over with you know Maimonides in the twelfth century, or was over with um, Joseph Caro and the Shulchan Aruch in the sixteenth century, right, and right, like right. and all this and this and this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's divisions in Judaism. Most people just don't see it because there's well, there's only fourteen million of us in the world, so. You know, yeah. we're we're very tiny. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, are you more orthodox? Or are you more modern, or a blend of the two? Uh, no, or so do I'm, you pick and choose? I, so I I pick and choose to a to a degree. I so I'm I the easiest. What I tell people is that I'm a Jew on a journey. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. And, and that's so, that's kind of how I've. People are like, "What are you going to talk to Eric Urarty about?" I'm like, "Well, <laughs> he's he's." Going to rabbinical school, right. he's 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 from his family's from Nicaragua, and and you know so he's like this multifaceted, <laughs> multi layered guy, and I know we know each other through various circles, right. of, of interest. Well, look, and, my, and my nickname is Living Oxymoron for a reason because <laughs> yeah. I have so many contradictory, right, like right, and like on the surface things about me. But um, so your dad, your dad was Catholic and your mom was Jewish, right? You like go into confession and take a lawyer with you and like forgive me, Father, for right. I have sinned. Well, see, I think you know Mr. Cohen. Sorry, it's right? Well, so here, yeah, no, here, here's the fun funny thing is that like my dad to this day is like the biggest fan of me becoming a rabbi. He oh, thinks cool. he thinks it is the coolest thing ever. Well, I think yeah, I mean I right when I hear about somebody going off mid mid 20s or mid 30s or whatever deciding to go and and become a, you know, a Christian person thing like that, right. it always kind of makes me sad. Yeah. But whenever I hear of somebody in their mid-20s or 30s or whatever going off to go back to rabbinical school yeah. and going, that actually always makes me kind of happy. 
And and I mean, it's a big commitment. Oh, it's huge you know? commitment. Huge commitment. I mean, and for me, look, just to give you some context, and I don't know if we talked about this before, but I I decided I was going to do this while I was serving in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and I was a. Uh, I was a lay leader, which meant that when the rabbi wasn't there, I would lead Shabbat services. Now, mm-hmm. at the time, I didn't really know much of anything. I couldn't read Hebrew. I didn't know the you know the prayer book order or anything like that. But I, like I saw that there were people who needed a, a leader of some kind, and especially I, I served during nine eleven, mm-hmm. and so you know when when that happened and i was on camp pendleton and i knew that i was going to see like these these four recruits who were in boot camp the next friday i i basically said you know if not now when which is there's a there's a there's an old piece of of jewish wisdom that that from rabbi hillel that says um if oh uh well it it ends with if not now when but it's if if I'm only for myself, who will be for me? If I forget the, I, I always forget I've, the I've heard that. I don't yeah. remember. I don't know. I haven't memorized, but I've heard heard that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, if I'm not for others, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, something, and if not now, when? Right. You know, basically saying that that you have to see opportunities and and take, take them, of, take advantage of them along, when yeah. they come along to help other people, right. because. Right. Hopefully, when people see that you are in need, they're going to come along and say, "Hey, man, are you doing okay? Do you mm-hmm. need you need some help?" So I, uh, you know, I I did two years of college, and it wasn't really doing it for me. So that's why I went into the Marine Corps. And when I got out, um, the my my mentor rabbi at the time said, "Hey, you should really think about doing this." And I said, "But like, I don't know any of this stuff. I was just doing the best that I can." He said, "Look, uh, you know, Hebrew." Prayer order, Talmud, you can learn all of that. Yeah. What is harder to teach somebody is you walked into, you know, a chapel on base and saw a bunch of people and no, like, leadership, and you just stepped up and did it to the best of your ability. And, That's what it takes to be. Right. And I kept that with me for many, many years, and it wasn't until the, the recession hit and I, I got laid off from my job that I decided, if not now, when? And so I've been in school since 2009. I finished my my bachelor's degree, um, and then I, I went to rabbinical school. So this has been a this has been a quest that has taken up pretty much all of all of my 30s, and right. I will be almost 40 by the time I'm ordained. Oh, cool. But it's but it's worth it to me. Cool. Um, and things have changed. I originally wanted to go into the military to be a chaplain, and and I can't do that now because of certain health reasons. And that was it's still a little disappointing to me. But I I know that I can find a community where I can really you know, help make a difference both, you know, to that that geographic community and, and to Jews, you know, who, who are looking for something. I'm sure I've got something to offer to Jews. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I've always been a fan of, of Jewish culture in entertainment, you know, yeah. as a thing. Um, you know, I've always been a big fan of, like, as I said, Jack Benny, George Burns, sure. Mel Brooks. And, and, and even Jack Benny and George Burns, even though they were Jewish, they didn't put Jewish culture into their thing, but into their, into their work that right. much. But, you know, obviously. I mean, not, Mel, o- not overtly, but. No, 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 yeah. but little bits, little yeah. things, little things. But, but I've always been a fan of, you know, Billy Crystal and, and, and Henny Youngman. And, mm-hmm. and I've just, I've always liked that thing. Yeah. And I've always gravitated toward it. It always makes me, and it's not just that thing of ah, Jews making fun of Jews or whatever, right. but it's that thing of of 
wanting to be in on the joke, right? And understanding a little tiny bit since you know uh, Jackie Mason, and you know, I mean, right. I mean, anything from the most subtle thing all the way up to the biggest caricature sure. kind of thing, um, where you real, I mean, you know, like act, you know, like Jackie Mason who really makes a big show of right. the of, of I the mean, Jewish yeah, and in a, and in a way, the caricature is a little harmful at mm-hmm. times, and I and I wish that it wasn't it wasn't the case. And again, but, but seeing through that, sure, seeing through. The, there's that whole thing of what of of that fine line of satire of sure. of are you laughing at, at Archie Bunker because he's an idiot or are you laughing because he's making fun of of everyone of, everyone. of every right. other right and so being able to uh, from a young age I was I was always able to kind of step on the right side of that line and right. and and see that perspective of these are these are uh, people with a very deep uh, long culture and a long cultural heritage and they're they're bringing this and as you said the whole thing with the Borscht Belt and, and vaudeville and understanding a lot of the history of that having been a comedy nerd from right. you know, a very young age and so it's something that's always made me very very happy right. so going back to your original question what do I consider myself I consider myself a Jew on a journey I think that I think that the traditions are very important because they're like they're culturally important you know mm-hmm. I I I personally gave up eating pork and shellfish and and mixing meat with dairy, mm-hmm. but it was a process, and I didn't do it just because. Okay, this is this is the tradition. I had to have it make sense to me, and I had to. So you know, in a way, it's a melding of the what I do and what I believe. Right, now, right, I right. you know, I still there are certain things that I still resolve to to do because I feel that it's important simply to do them, but. I try as best as I can to integrate every every new practice that I take on to mean something to me and in a way uh living in Israel was was a bit of a was more difficult because it was so easy. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by that is you can walk in any store in Israel and get kosher food, right? Everything shuts down on Shabbat. Right. And so, you know, there there's like this idea that, oh, you know, the best place to be Jewish is in Israel because the whole nation is built around being being Jewish. Um, but to me, like as as annoying as it was every year that I worked in uh, so I, I worked in retail sales for, for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So as annoying as it was to me to say, to make that determination, do I take Saturday off because it's Shabbat and that's an important like cultural artifact to me? Or when I was working commission sales, like do I work it because that's where I'm going to get most of my, my money and be able to take care of myself? That was always a real struggle. You know, or every year having to take off Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and it changes every year, and having to explain again why it's a different day this year, and and doing all of that. So to me, it's not simply the doing, but to me, it's working to do it. Like I, I there has to be a struggle to do it in mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, because the way I look at at the intellectual part of Judaism, there has to be a struggle in understanding it. There has to be a struggle in saying these are the words on the page, and this is what it meant. To somebody, you know, two thousand years ago, and a thousand years ago, and fifteen hundred years ago. But what does it mean to me? And okay, and right. and not just say these are the words on the page, and I'm going to do it because that's what they right, say. Right. And again, going back to the Mishnah and the Talmud and all of that, you know. So the the Torah is the Constitution. The Mishnah, I I say, is like federal code, 
right? It's the laws that that say, okay, if these are our values, these are how we're going to put into practice. And then the Talmud takes the Mishnah and says, this is like all of the Supreme Court cases, right? Mm-hmm. So it includes mm-hmm. all of the discussions about why something is one way and and why they got to this particular ruling. And honestly, it's like Reddit sometimes. Sometimes yeah. the rabbis insult each other across a couple hundred years. But one of the things that always struck me is that the Talmud even includes the the dissenting opinions, mm-hmm. right? Because just like in our modern legal system, you want the dissenting opinions so that you can see the thought process behind why certain justices disagreed with something. Right. You want to also see why certain Jewish laws came about the way they were and why this other alternative was disagreed with because that's how you that's how you develop critical thinking skills right, right. and that's how you seek to understand how to how to wrestle with all of that stuff as opposed to just you know somebody up at the up at the front of the synagogue saying this is what you do when you go out and do it cool yeah yeah i mean it was uh, when we first met and started talking and stuff like that it was i definitely gravitated toward your 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 story because i I, obviously, I've never been through it, but I've known enough people who have been through the rabbinical right. process to know what a serious commitment. I mean, even even just converting to Judaism just as a citizen, not as a rabbi, right. is, is a commitment. <laughs> that in and of itself is a commitment. Yeah, no, and, I, and I've I, had friends who've done that, yeah. too, either for a spouse or just for themselves, and... and that in and of itself is a commitment, let alone just kind of dedicating your whole life to this is what I'm going to be doing to go and help people. And basically, I'm giving over, sacrificing to, to basically just be helpful right. to humanity. I mean, look, when you it, it's funny when you think of the fact that you know, there's only 14 million Jews, but if you want to convert to Judaism, you've got to study for two years and then convince three rabbis that, no, you really want to convert to Judaism. You know, <laughs> We got plenty. We don't need any more. <laughs> no, it's more like, are you sure? Have yeah, you yeah. seen what happens to us over? <laughs> you have to give up bacon. Bacon's fucking delicious. Are you sure you want to give up bacon? One of my favorite jokes was told to me by uh, one of my early like teenhood friends, Michael Newman. He's been on the podcast. He told sure. me this joke, God, 30 years ago. He said a priest and a rabbi are out fishing. Yeah, I know this joke. And uh, I might have told it before, but a priest and a rabbi are fishing, and the rabbi, and the, they sit, and so they start getting into philosophical and, and you know, uh, uh, ecumenical discussions. Sure. There's a good word. Oh, ecumenical. Uh, ec- ecumenical discussions. Theological yeah, discussions. theological yes. ecumenical discussions. And he says, uh, so... Uh, so he's, the priest says, "So tell me, Rabbi, is it true that as you're part of your religion, you don't eat pork?" He says, "That's true. And, uh, we, you know, we you know keep kosher, and it's an unclean right. animal, uh-huh. cloven hoof, and blah blah blah." blah, 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 blah. Yeah. He says, "So then a little time goes on." He says, "So tell me, uh, Father, is it true that as you're part of your religion, you don't sleep with women?" And he says, "That's true. Try to emulate the life of Christ, and right. God, Christ never took sins of the flesh or partook of the flesh." And he goes, and the Rabbi says, "You should try it sometime. It beats the shit out of pork." Right. <laughs> as someone who has partaken from both, yes, yes. <laughs> that is true very much it was easy to give up bacon i don't think i could give up the other thing <laughs> um so uh let's talk about something else that you're passionate about you uh lent my wife a cookbook so I did. that that to me that means if you got a cookbook that means you cook oh i love cooking so talk about cooking um it, you know it's really funny because i from a very young age i i remember the first thing i learned to make was instant ramen uh <laughs> at home so boi- boiling water yeah um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I really, like, my mother didn't necessarily teach me, but I learned by observing. And mm-hmm. I just, I liked mm-hmm. to create, from an early age, I liked to make food because food is fucking delicious. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then later on, I liked to make food because I realized 
I want to share delicious food with people. Um, and I'm exactly the same way. Right. And so I actually, so in the, in those two years of college before the Marine Corps, I actually did a, a culinary program. My, my school, Santa Rosa Junior College, had an uh, incredible culinary program. Because up in the wine country, and so they, they put out a lot of chefs for a fraction of the cost of like Le Cordon Bleu or oh, yeah, Culinary yeah. Sure, of America, sure. things like that. So, and that taught me two things. One is that I loved the, you know, I loved the process of cooking. I loved the, the chemistry and the flavors and the, the exactitudes and the playing with things and, and that. And the second thing was there is no way in hell I am ever going to work in the food industry. Yeah. yeah. Because I didn't want to work in a kitchen because what I loved about cooking was to, to use it as a way of bringing joy and, and, and satisfaction and to see that because that's validating. Sure. To, sure you know, sure. Um, and, and so I, I, you know, to the extent that I can, I go. I, I'm a, I'm a foodie, and I go out and try as much different kinds of food as I can that is you know permittable within within kosher laws. And you know, some Orthodox Jews wouldn't wouldn't eat in a non-kosher restaurant, but I I will still eat eat meat in a non-kosher restaurant. I'm trying to get away from it because it's an important thing to me, but. Um, so I, I try to eat vegetarian when I when I eat out. I had the most non kosher meal on <laughs> on on uh, Friday night. Yeah, um, I went to uh, I w- went to um, there's an arcade bar in on Ventura Boulevard. A in barcade. St- a barcade. Yeah, it's called the One Up, and uh, it's all vintage video games. We never sure. got around because we wanted talking all night, but they serve a pork belly jack and mac it's like mac, mac and cheese made with jack cheese and yeah. it's got chunks of pork belly in it so i got one better for you and this this will this will this will illustrate like why i i do so it, it's funny because so many of my friends that i uh have grown up with um especially in like the gaming communities and and mm-hmm. things like that um they are a, a lot of them are atheists to some degree. Um, some of them are very, very passionate about atheism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yet I'm their Jew, right? <laughs> and and so one of one of my best friends, look, one of my friends, they're from they're from Kansas City. They barbecue twice a year, like real honest to god barbecue. Um, but he's got two smokers, and he will not put pork in one of those smokers. Aww. And he, you, if you ask him, he will say it's because Eric comes over here so often. I want to try to, I want to try and make That's sure sweet. that, yeah. And so this other friend uh, would make the most unkosher thing you've ever seen, which was he would take butter, put it in a pan on a grill. He would wrap shrimp in bacon, mm, put it in yes, the butter, yes. and let it simmer, and then take it off and, and like, flash grill it. The most unkosher oh, thing yeah. ever. But this particular friend would always say to me, I'm making this tonight. I have uh, already prepped the grill by putting, like, the foil and turning it on high. So it's a clean grill. You bring over your food. You cook it on the grill. I'll wait until you're done cooking your things before I cook my thing. That's sweet. You know? And this is a guy who is a self-proclaimed militant atheist. But, like, but, again, I'm like like everybody's Jew, right? Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So what what is your favorite sorts of things to cook? Or do you gravitate toward any one thing? I, you know, I... I haven't been cooking as much recently, mm-hmm. um, just because school takes out a chunk of my sure, t- school sure. and work take out a chunk of my time. Um, I, I'm really trying to learn more Ethiopian food because Ooh. I really love Ethiopian yes. food, and I, I have 
discovered that you can so there's a like the base of Ethiopian food is called neterkebe and it's a it's a ghee that's made by simmering butter with ginger and garlic and mm-hmm. cinnamon and cardamom and like all of those spices and then you strain it and like that's what they use as their base so if I'm going to make a meat dish I obviously can't use that no. so I have discovered that you can do the same thing with refined coconut oil and it has the you know the same infusion of flavor and the same consistency and whatever and so so I do that to make lentils and garbanzo beans and and chicken and, and all of that stuff um, I always find it really interesting there's so many uh, Ethiopian restaurants on Fairfax, right in the heart of West Hollywood, right. the heart of the one of the most like concentrated Jewish, right. Jewish sections. I of mean, Los I, I think I think that that was just uh, just an irony. Now, what's interesting though is that uh, none of those guys are Ethiopian Jews, but I found an Ethiopian Jewish guy who oh, runs wow. a restaurant on Western and. Uh, Western in Washington. Oh wow! Called Palm Grove. I've heard of that. Yeah, and I and I I went in there one day because it's the closest Ethiopian place to me, and I really liked it, and the food was really good. And uh, I said to the guy, uh, "How do you say thank you in Amharic?" And I I forgot what he said, and he said, "Ah, but I'm going to tell you another way to to say thank you to Daraba." And I just looked at him and I said, Bavakasha. And he's like, how do you know Hebrew? <laughs> and I was like, how do you know Hebrew? Yeah. And it turns out he ran a shop in the Jerusalem open air market that I went to every Thursday Holy to get crap. my food before Holy Shabbat. Crap. Right? It's a small Jewish wow, world. That's crazy. Yeah. And there's only 14 million ever you're going to run into Exactly. Time exactly. Time. So, um, but I like, I like, uh, what I really like is adapting ethnic food mm-hmm. that I have had before I became kosher, but I still want to do at home. So I've been learning a lot of Korean and there's like, I, I can make my own kimchi and, and things a lot, like that. A lot of the, um, the, uh, 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 um, Synthetic meat technology, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, you know, pr- uh, soy protein right. meats are getting a lot more realistic mm-hmm. than than they used to be. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, I haven't looked that far into it because mm-hmm. obviously I don't keep kosher and it's not something that's on my radar very much. But I'm wondering how many of those are could be kosher or could be substituted in a meat dish where you oh, could do it very very easily. Um, but I would I would. Just, I mean, the, the advantage of Asian cuisine is that they don't really use dairy at all. Mm-hmm. So if I like an Asian meat dish, I just learn to make it at home with, with kosher meat. Right, right. Um, because I, I cook kosher at home. So, like, that's what I do. And, but if there's a, if there's a convergence, like with the Ethiopian food, I'll use, you know, if it's butter, I'll use coconut oil. Right, right, That right. sort of thing. So, you so you're substituting the milk portion rather than the meat Exactly. Because right, right. I, I'm not. Because meat is meat is meat. Meat, meat, meat is, is meat is delicious meat and is I'm not willing to give right, it up yet. Right. So. You mentioned uh, several times uh, gaming. Uh, what kind of gaming do you do? Oh boy, what kind of gaming don't I do? Um, I'm I've been a PC gamer literally since I was eight years old, and my grandfather got me an Apple IIc, and Fantastic. and I played. Uh, I think my first game was a was a baseball game, but after that, I started picking up the old AD and D Gold Box oh, games, yeah. Pool of Radiance, and Curse of the Azure Bonds, and things like that. So I've always been into electronic gaming. I've owned consoles, but I'm mostly a PC gamer. Me too. Me too. Um, I want to say I've got 150 games on my Steam library right. Right now, none of which I have time to play yeah, anymore. Yeah, I know, right? I, there's so many good games. The game that I, the most recent I played was uh, Jura- the Lego Jurassic World. Oh yeah, which is actually really good because it's it's got all the all four movies in it. Right. Um, but I um, like Mass Effect Andromeda comes out in like what a week. Yeah. But I'm not going to pick that up until after the spring semester because I just yeah. won't have time to play it. The next thing I'm really excited about is the new uh, Zelda, which you can get on. Um, 
you can get on uh, Wii U as well as the Switch. Mm-hmm. And I know I never buy a console right when it comes out, but yeah. I will. I would pick up a, a used uh, Wii U for a hundred bucks yeah. just to play Zelda. Yeah, but it's also a matter of carving out time to play. Right. So the big gaming that I do is is live action role playing. Okay. Um, and you know, there's a couple of different types of it, but I've been playing uh, out of White Wolf's World of Darkness system, specifically Vampire, for. 20 years now, actually. I got, I got started in that in uh, December of 1996, back when I still lived in Northern California. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, uh, like, I love it because it combines improv acting with, you know, nerdy gaming. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You get to dress up, you get to play another character. And honestly, for me, it's a very therapeutic thing mm-hmm. because I can take on another persona and I can, I can work with, Feelings and, and actions that I couldn't do in the middle of, of like my work week. Like if I'm counseling a, if I'm counseling somebody, I can't tell them that what they're telling me is some of the most vapid bullshit I've ever heard and you really just need to grow up and, and, you know, do whatever. I can't do that. I would be out in, of a job. In gaming. <laughs> in gaming, I can be a total asshole. I can be blunt and direct and, and it, it got to the point, like my, my current character, uh, just, just died and it was a really good storyline to it. But my, the, the character that I had currently was a very like no nonsense guy who I could like walk up to somebody and stare at them and they would be like, oh shit, what's going on? Like, I, I am afraid. What's, my character's name was Mehmed. What is Mehmed gonna do or say or ask of me now? And, um, it got to the point where I had to start telling new players, I am not an asshole. I am actually a very nice person because I was able to portray that so well. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, I've got a little bit of a theater background. Sure, and I, sure, I did sure. some acting, so I can... I, I have a, another, well, uh, Kitty, who used to be my co-host on mm-hmm. here and very good friends with, and she got into LARPing uh, really hardcore pretty recently and for a good six months or eight months. But there was such a difficulty within this particular pod of people Mm -hmm. this particular game of people in unable to distinguish between a game personality and a real life person's personality like you said you had to go up to newbies and say hey i'm not an asshole this is just my character right you know and i i think discussions like that are probably warranted before you say okay game on right i think probably but it seemed to me like that probably wasn't happening yeah and and i think that you know there's a lot of there's a lot of people without a big acting background who who they play their character maybe a little you know they or rather they are their character maybe a, a little modification but you know there were always the people that oh you know so and so's character died what's he going to play next oh he's just going to play another version of himself yeah. right but yeah. i really like to go for the different things because that's how i explore like all of the stuff i can't really like internally process during the week so like i said it's a it's a great therapeutic thing and i got a real i i got involved in a really great group about uh almost 2 years ago now here in LA called Pillars of Salt and what i like about it is most of the core gamers are late 20s mid 30s a couple of people are in their 40s so it's an older crowd people who are professionals we have you know lawyers and chiropractors and people with careers um and so there's a little bit more of that maturity and you know that you can go in and play mature themes and mature character and and Nobody's going to get their feathers ruffled. Nobody's going to get their feathers ruffled, but also it's not going to be, be like vapid, immature bullshit, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, is there any uh, 
any media that you're consuming right now in terms of well, either games or, or movies, TV, listening? Um, or- I am loving The Expanse. I think it is one of the best shows on television. Oh, right. I, thought, I think you said that on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, um, I, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like a combination between um, Battlestar Galactica and Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And it's, I haven't read the books that it's based on yet, but it's, it's basically a very hard sci-fi political thriller that mm-hmm. takes place 200 years in the future. But they do a really good job of, of like, you know, there's no artificial gravity, there's no laser guns, and, and the way that ships move is that they, like, you know, go halfway on acceleration and then turn around and, and decelerate the other half of the way, and they, they make it a point of, of illustrating this these scientific principles. Physics. There's uh, physics involved. Oh, my God. There's Sci- physics involved. Sci-fi with physics. Wow. Right. Right, and so uh, and the characterization is really good. They they have done a really good job of. It's actually I was having this discussion a while ago that that most of the major characters who are in power, right, like the Earth government and things like that, are are decidedly not white. Mm. Whereas most of the so very very basically you have Earth you have Mars and those mm-hmm, are the two mm-hmm, superpowers mm-hmm. and then you have all of the in the asteroid belt and the outer planets are where where those places get like their water resources from and so things this all like takes that. place within the solar system it's, within it's our solar system strictly within the solar system and um, what is what is interesting is the way that they they illustrate a lot of the the belters the people who live out in the asteroid belt. Most a good deal of them are are white and tall and lanky because that's what happens when you live so far away from the sun in in low gravity and things like that for several generations. You elongate. Yeah. So what, like I said, what's really interesting is that most uh, there there's kind of a colonialism vibe to it, and you can you can see how the writers are are inserting colonialism into it, but it's inverted in the sense that most of the officials from Earth from Mars are people of color mm. and. And and the a lot of the belters are are I mean they're pale. There are some Asians and there there are some like Middle Easterners and Black people or or whatever. But like one of one of the leaders of the belters is a is a big black dude. But the reason why is that he was originally a colonel in the Earth military, and so that's like there's this whole idea of you know uh, great white hope and, oh, and yeah, white saviorism, yeah, yeah. except that it's a it's a black dude right, who's doing right. it. So it's a really really well written, interesting huh. story. Cool. So I, I highly recommend that to anyone who likes likes good sci fi. Okay, cool. Anything else? Um, or are you just school, school, school? That's school, school, school. Yeah. That I, I really, I only have one one or two shows that I have time to watch, and mm-hmm. I'm getting ready for Mass Effect Andromeda, but again, not until I'm done with, with the semester. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, boy, I really haven't been, been watching much TV or, or listening to much lately. Um, I've been listening to podcasts, and, and just I've been listening to the crap out of Boards of Canada all the time, because I've been going on, on on and on about this for weeks, but right. I just keep gravitating back toward them, because it just makes me feel so damn good. Yeah. And anything right now these days that, that just makes me feel kind of good, that yeah. I can put on in the background and just kind of like elevate my mood or, or just kind of give me a good feeling. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely hitting the right synapses yeah. right now. So. I mean, I, I, I listened to welcome to night Vale, but now that I'm mm. caught up on it, I, you know, it comes out every, every 15 days right. or whatever. Right. Um, I had a really a good podcast from a very, very good friend of mine who produced it, um, called girl splained, girl splained, girl splained, um, her and her partner, I want to say 
did about 15 or 16 episodes. Um, I've known her from my, from my gaming days almost 20 years now, and she's, uh, she's Jewish, queer, total nerd girl, like, has been into comic books all of her life. Nice. And so she, like, the podcast is all about, like, feminist, queer, takes on 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 feminist queer jewish takes on on culture and comic books and things like that and so like for example when when um spoiler alert when when there was that captain america issue uh earlier last year where he was like working with hydra or something like that she her entire hour-long show was dedicated to why as a as a queer jewish woman this was so problematic for her because like captain america she was a total captain america fangirl and as a jew like there there's a whole mythos yeah. because yeah, the, yeah hydra is like nazis hydras are nazis but also the writers of captain america were both jewish the oh. the the writer and the illustrator of captain america before america entered world war 2 who were seeing all the anti-semitism in europe like made captain america like in my opinion as a sort of a you know we are part of america this is this you know this captain america is the ideal like white blonde christian american who we wish would fight for us, mm-hmm. you know, and in fighting for us, like fight for for all, you know the real truth and justice uh, in America, right? And it's it's by no accident that that a lot of the early comic book figures are, are written by Jews. Oh so. yeah. Oh well, yeah. I mean, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. and <clears throat> yeah, especially really early on. Um, um, yeah, I've heard a lot of podcasts recently about a lot of the history of comic books and stuff yeah. too. Um, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, and Marvel comic has always been about social allegory, so, oh, yeah. you know, and that's uh, one of the things that's always given it more weight. Um, where can people find you online? Do you have, uh, like, a blog or anything like that that talks about your, your rabbinical journey? No, or- I, I, you know, I've, I've tried unsuccessfully to do that a couple of times. I've played around with the idea of doing a podcast, but I just, I don't have the time for it, and gotcha. so I don't really have any, any consumable media that okay. I can get right. out. Yeah. okay, okay. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, thank you for your time. It's so great to talk to you and yeah, to learn I, more about your your journey and uh, all the. It, it, it's like I said when we first met. I was interested in. I'm always kind of gravitated toward anybody who's kind of going through that commitment. Sure. And why? Because it always seems to be. It always seems to be a more of a selfless thing, and that's what a, the thing that's always kind of you know gravitated me toward that. Yeah. So, and so. thank you for giving me this opportunity. I've always wanted to talk endlessly about myself. For sure. Why? Well, hey, why not? And have it be recorded. Yes. 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 For posterity. For posterity. Yes. Or to be used against me. And <laughs> blackmail. Black right. Mail. So uh, this episode was brought to you by WhedonCon 2017. Uh, go to WhedonCon.com for tickets that for single day or weekend tickets. I am at St. Michael on Twitter. Check out our blog. Listen to our past episodes on something2xp.net. We are everywhere online as something2xp. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook and Google+. Email us at something2xp at gmail.com. And remember, please be kind. You've just listened to the Something Something Experience podcast with your host, Michael John Simpson. Something 2XP was conceived and produced by Michael John Simpson. Intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, was written, produced, and provided by the talented Sebastian Cesari. Please visit our website and blog at something2xp.net. You can find us online everywhere as Something 2XP. 
please subscribe and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and like us on Facebook and Google+. This episode was brought to you by WhedonCon 2017, the weekend of May 19th through 21st in Los Angeles. For information and tickets, please visit WhedonCon.com. You can email us at something2xp at gmail.com. We invite your feedback. Please be kind.